I was reading an article this week, and I came across a word I had never seen before. Uh, Jesse Scheidlauer from the OED is online with us now. Uh, the, the word is skeuomorphic. Am I saying that right? Uh, skeuomorphic. Skeuomorphic. Yes. Can, can you tell, tell me what this means? A skeuomorph is an ornament or feature of design that is copied from an older version of something, but that is not necessary for the current version other than for aesthetic purposes. Uh, so an example is uh, having wooden beams in a ceiling that don't actually hold up the ceiling. It's just for show. Well, I think uh, another another good example that I when I when Ian told me about this and I looked at it, I, they had a picture of uh, the rivets on a pair of jeans. Right. Exactly. The the visible rivets on a pair of jeans aren't actually holding the jeans together. It's just a decorative cover, and the the actual functional piece is underneath. Another example of a skeuomorph. Uh, is the brown color of a penny. Like Nowadays, pennies are no longer made from copper. They're made primarily from zinc, which is more or less silverish. Uh, but the outside is still coated to make it dark, to, to make it look brown, uh, as if it were made from copper when it's not. Uh, another example in this vein uh, is the audible sound, the, the, the camera shutter click on a cell phone or on a digital camera. Uh, you don't have to do this. I mean, you press a button, it takes a picture. It doesn't need to go to make the shutter sound. But that's, again, copying an older version of it for pretty much aesthetic purposes. It, it's interesting how um, just learning a word like this, uh, at least for me, kind of changes the way that I walk around in the world. Like Since, since I've learned about this word, I've kind of kept an eye out for things that might be skeuomorphs, and I've, I've noticed like design elements in computer programs that are completely unnecessary. Right. I mean, computer programs have all sorts of things that are like this. I mean, computers are, modern computers are designed to imitate desktops or, uh, or what we think of as desk, desktops. So there are all sorts of things that don't need to be that way on a computer, but, are, but, are, but look like that. You, you make icons look like folders or garbage cans, you know, just because they're familiar in a certain way. The fact that uh, when you save something in Microsoft Word, you click what looks like an old floppy disk. Yes, yes, that's a great example. We don't, you know, no one uses floppy disks anymore. We, you know, we haven't for quite some time, but the save icon still looks like a floppy disk. And of course, it doesn't have to look like anything. It could be the letter S, or you know, it could be anything. Of course, in some ways, you want it to look the same across any language, but uh, but it could be anything. So that's that's a skeuomorphic feature. And yes, once you know that there is a word for something, uh, you can you, you can it can affect your judgment. You start saying, oh, well, you know, now that I know that's called something, I see that that actually represents something else. Well, let me, Jesse, this is good. I don't want to sound crass. Are male nipples technically skeuomorphs? Uh, well, no, because they are not something that, uh, well, I guess it depends on your, on, on your notion of who the designer is. Uh. Uh, you know, they don't serve a functional <laughs> purpose, but they weren't deliberately put there. Um, on the other hand, something like nipples on a rubberized Batman suit, those are kind of skeuomorphs. Like, whatever, you know, if, if, you have, if you have armor, you don't need to give the armor nipples and a six-pack. Uh, that doesn't serve any purpose to protect your body. It just makes it look more human. Well, this has been great. Thanks, Jesse. Okay, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how to sing a show tune. And we'll tell you how to win each and every swing state if, you know, you're running for president. A couple days left. 
But first, everybody knows about Hurricane Sandy and the effect uh, she had on the eastern seaboard this week. Now, one thing that happens whenever there's a big hurricane is somebody starts talking about the nuclear option, which, uh, in the case of hurricanes, is actually using nuclear weapons to bomb them. Jeff Masters is a hurricane expert. He knows all about the nuclear option and other ways to stop hurricanes. So, Jeff, uh, first of all, the idea that, that we could do anything to stop a storm just seems kind of crazy. When, when did we start thinking about that as a possibility? I think back when we started exploding nuclear bombs, we realized we had a pretty incredibly powerful effect on nature. And there was talk back in the 50s of using A-bombs to dam up uh, the Bering Strait and change the course of ocean currents, things like that. But this is something that people have proposed, is actually using a a nuclear weapon to bomb a hurricane. Uh, I guess, how would that work, and and would it work? I don't think it would work, because the energy a hurricane releases is far greater than nuclear bomb. I think each second it releases more energy than nuclear bomb. So all you would do is spread radioactivity over a wide area. But there are more... Uh, workable sorts of ways to modify a hurricane. All right, let's have it. Okay, well, the two techniques that are being proposed, right now, we think that when a hurricane approaches land and starts sucking in all the air pollution particles in the air, it tends to weaken the storm. We've noticed that a bunch of the storms that have made landfall along the Gulf Coast of the U.S. in recent years have all dramatically weakened near landfall, and that includes Katrina. And there's a numerical model study done where they took Katrina and then they took the influence of all the air pollution flowing off the coast into the storm out of what happened, and it didn't weaken. So when they added the pollution back in, it did weaken. Well, what's going on? What happens is that the air pollution particles get in the outside of the storm, and they act to seed the clouds to actually make more little cloud droplets And that takes energy away from the core of the storm and transfers it to the outer periphery where all the pollution was flowing in. So the theory is we could do this intentionally by putting a bunch of aircraft in the air and spewing pollution basically into a hurricane on the outside of it to weaken it. So there have been several hundred thousand dollars worth of studies done on this in recent years. Well, Jeff, would it be possible to blow all the smog from Los Angeles over to the Gulf Coast and then have that neutralize hurricanes? It's like two birds with one stone. Yeah, that would be great. It'd be, it'd be pretty cool if we could, we could do that. So we can? Well, you know, it's, it's a long road to get the pollution all the way from L.A. There's plenty available uh, from uh, you know, just the states surrounding the Gulf of Mexico. In fact, there's plenty of pollution everywhere in the U.S. So... It's an interesting theory, and it makes a lot of sense to me. And whether we'll actually have the guts to try something like that or not, uh, I would be surprised because there's so many lawyers in the U.S. (laughs) And any time you do an intentional modification of a weather phenomena and it ends up doing any damage whatsoever, you could certainly sue and say, well, it may not have done this damage to my state if you guys hadn't, you know, seeded the hurricanes. And uh, that was a big issue back in the 1960s when we intentionally tried to use silver iodide to, so, uh, to seed hurricanes and modify them. Uh, Cuba complained bitterly when one of the hurricanes that we did that to uh, did an unusual course change and hit Cuba. Wait, wait, back, back up. So what did, what did they do and how did they do it? There was a pro- Well, we know that if you take a compound called silver iodide 
and you spray it into clouds, you can create rain. It's the standard weather modification event that uh, we, we use and the Chinese used during the, the Olympics to try and uh, modify the weather there. Yeah. So we knew that worked for uh, cold clouds, and so they tried it in a hurricane, and, and it turned out that hurricanes are too warm to make that work, although we didn't know that at the time. Uh, and so Cuba's beef with us that we had changed the hurricane was probably moot. I don't think we actually did. Well, so wait, Jeff, how do you inject silver iodide into clouds? You take an airplane and you put a big tank of silver iodide on the bottom of it, and you put a little nozzle on it, and then you spray it into the cloud. Like a crop duster? Exactly, yeah. I, I've heard another thing that people have talked about, that maybe if we could drag a, uh, a piece of, uh, of the ice caps down uh, into warmer waters, that that might diffuse hurricanes. Uh, do you know about this idea? Yeah, certainly if you cool the waters, you're potentially going to weaken a hurricane. Hurricanes are heat engines. They pull heat out of the water and convert it to the kinetic energy of their winds. A more practical way of doing that would be to pump cold water from down deep up to the surface. And there have been some schemes proposed where you take these flexible tubes, attach them to the bottom of the ocean, and have them go to the surface, and then have a wave-powered pump work to draw cold air to the surface. You'd have to put a pretty big grid of these up there, and the proposed cost of these systems is somewhere around 2 or $3 billion dollars. But, you know, you consider a hurricane like Sandy does tens of billions of dollars, then maybe it's a cost-effective approach. Now, in your research, you, you've actually been part of a team that's flown into a hurricane? Yeah, I spent four years with the Hurricane Hunters and flew into a couple of Category 5s. How does that work? You want to fly a four-engine turboprop plane into the storm, and we do it all the time. I mean, around the clock, there was a Hurricane Hunter airplane in Hurricane Sandy. But you know, once every five or so years, you get into one of those situations where things go bad and the atmosphere throws a nasty surprise at you and uh, people walk off the Hurricane Hunter flight and never fly again. So you've been on one of those flights? <laughs> that was my last flight, yeah. Oh, 1989 Hurricane Hugo. Uh, basically, we were expecting a Category 3 we hit a Category 5, hit uh, 5 Gs of acceleration in the eyewall, had an engine catch on fire, pilot lost control of the aircraft, and we went into a dive. And uh, fortunately, the eye was right there, and we coasted into the eye where it's calm, and the pilot was able to pull us out of the dive 800 feet above the ocean. Wow. Did it take a while for you to get it on board another plane after that? Uh well, I had to get on board a plane to get home, so we were in Barbados, so I had to fly home. <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks so much for talking us through this. All right, you're welcome. You know, we always tell you to uh, send us your questions via email to our 1-800 number. Uh, we got this question. These guys actually emailed us this MP3. Hey, guys, this is Troy. And Matt. And we host PriceCast, an unofficial podcast about The Price is Right. And we want to share with you something that was on this week's show. George, what's the bonus? You're going to get a private tour of the Great White Way. And, right. and an actor will uh, teach you how to sing a show tune. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Where are they going to find an unemployed actor to teach you a show tune in New York City? <laughs> so I guess... Um, 
how do you sing a show tune? Yeah, I mean, because I have no idea how to do that. And uh, Matt, I'm assuming you don't either. Otherwise, we wouldn't ask. (laughs) So let us know, guys. And uh, thanks. All right, Troy and Matt, I think we can help you out. Uh, Joining us now is Kristen Chenoweth, uh, a Tony Award winning Broadway singer. She was Glinda in Wicked. She was also really good on Glee. And on The West Wing. I like that show. It's a good show. I like Glee. So, Kristen, what's the first thing these guys need to do? Oh, step one is you have to sing what you love or what speaks to you. But I, I have to imagine that at some point in uh, your career, you've, you know, you've been asked to sing something you hate. Oh, yeah. Um, I wish I could say the titles, but I probably never work again. But, yeah, yeah I have, and, and I didn't do it. <laughs> you just didn't sing the song. But it doesn't speak to me. I ain't doing it. All right. Okay. Um, by the way, that's my dog gagging in the background. Oh. Um, is that right? I, I would, yeah, she's like choking to death. Are you okay, buddy? Um, I think she's gagging at my answer. Well, he, uh, this is an opportunity, Kristen. If you have any how-to questions that you need us to look into for you, we're happy to do that. <laughs> is there any issue with your gagging dog yeah. that maybe How we could help out? Doggy Heimlich. Do you, hear her? do you hear her in the back? I mean, now she's better, but I don't know why she coughs so much. Madeline, what's the matter? I think probably it's her owner. She's like, I'm so sick of you talking. You, Shut up. You think it's an emotional response she's having? Yeah, I think she's just completely done. And you know what? I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Yeah. What, what? It's just me and her. It's yeah. me and her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kristen. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. All right. You, you know what we should do here? Help Kristen's dog? For Troy and Matt, I think what we should do is, taking Kristen's advice that you should, you know, sing something you love, uh-huh. we should write them a song about The Price is Right. Something they love. Yes. For them to sing from the heart. And we could call up Drew Carey, and he could sing the song that we write from The Price is Right. And it would all happen. Immediately. You've been dragging your sad self all over this town Painting the sidewalks in a dreary beige brown But I know a place where neon shirts shine As long as you don't mind waiting eight hours in line Come on down It's the price is right Come on down You're a star tonight Things will work out I know you don't think so But your problems could be solved With one game of Plinko Just fill out this name tag And wipe off that frown Make sure the yodely guy Doesn't fall down Come on down It's the price is right Come on down You're a star tonight Just tell me how much this living room costs Don't go over Or all will be lost All will be lost You'll be spinning the wheel At the showcase showdown Come on down Yeah baby Come on down That's right Come on down Don't go over. Hey, everybody. The presidential election is on Tuesday. That's when we vote unless we've already voted or we're not going to vote like most people. 
And if you're paying any attention, you know that the election could all come down to the swing states. That's Colorado, Ohio, Virginia, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Nevada, Florida, and New Hampshire. Are you done? But mostly Ohio. And if you're running for president, how do you appeal to the individual voters in these eight states? We sent producer Blythe uh, on a mission to talk to someone from each of the eight swing states. Uh, here's what she came up with. My name is Jackie, and I am a Wisconsinite. Hey, I'm Jeff Marsh. I own a bar in Raleigh, North Carolina. First and foremost, learn how to say Wisconsin. It's not West Wisconsin. We hear that quite often, as opposed to what, East Wisconsin? You can politely tell somebody you're in charge of them if you, if you use y'all properly. And if you have a problem pronouncing Wisconsin, you could simply refer to us as the Badger State. We're okay with that. A candidate coming to, coming to North Carolina everybody's going to assume that barbecue's the answer. I, I really think the one thing we all agree on is that our state chicken is Bojangles, our state sweet tea is Bojangles. Well, my name is Judson Hale, and I've been with Yankee Publishing, which is Yankee Magazine and the Old Farmer's Almanac, um, for the last 55 years. My name's Andrea Dominic. I'm a reporter with the Las Vegas Sun, and I live in Las Vegas. Hotter than Tofit, that's something I use quite a bit. Tofit is the devil. That's an old expression in New Hampshire. By Godfrey is another one after the great evangelist Godfrey Bullion. People, a lot of people say, by Godfrey. Well, I think the biggest mistake a candidate could make is calling Nevada, Nevada. Everyone knows that you are not from Nevada if you pronounce it that way. And some people get a little offended by it, I think. In New Hampshire, we all love lobster. Of course, all of New England does. I personally, and I know quite a few people do, enjoy uh, corned beef hash from the can. Not homemade, but from the can, room temperature. All you need is a can opener and a fork because you eat it right out of the can, watch the evening news, whatever. And when you're done, all you have to do is throw away the can, wash the fork. It's very easy. My name is Dave Burdick. I uh, was born here in Boulder, Colorado. I now live in Denver. I've lived in a bunch of places since, but there's not a whole lot of slang around here unless you're into, like, outdoor recreation, um, you were shredding gnar, which my friend assures me she would die laughing if she heard one of the candidates talk about skiing or snowboarding in that manner. Uh, you know, the same friend of mine said that she has found, after moving to Colorado, that she finds it extraordinarily uncool to say, hit the slopes. And of course, the obvious thing people think of when they think of Wisconsin is cheese, and we're proud of it. You know, we're not going to hide behind that. We love our brats, we love our cheese, and we love our beer. And if you can have all three together at the same time, a brat beer, cheese, soup, all the better. Well, I'm one of the weird people. I have, I've had two last names. My real last name is Randazzo, but when I was in the first grade, my father legally changed it to Roberts, and I was that way and launched my journalism career, and then uh, we changed it back to Randazzo. So I continued to write under Roberts, but the paycheck always said Bob Randazzo. I was born in Cleveland, and uh, I grew up there. I went to school there. Met a girl in high school, married her, and uh, we just celebrated 42 years of uh, marital bliss, or blisters, whatever. If you really want to stress your point, you might say, believe you me. That's, that's a common expression around here. And when you're done, you could say, bye now. You don't just say bye or see you later. You say bye now. If you're in northern Ohio, Cleveland, down to like Mansfield, we say we live in Ohio. But if you get from Mansfield down, it, all of a sudden it becomes Ohio, Y-A on the end. My name is Barry Height. I grew up in Mechanicsville, Virginia. There's a lot of acronyms that are important in my state. ABC refers to the 
only type of store where you can buy liquor, uh, alcohol beverage control. We're real big on brown mustard. It's called Stadium Mustard, and it's sold in food stores as Stadium Mustard. RVA is another good one. RVA, which is sort of the local's abbreviation for Richmond, the state capital. DMB, unfortunately, remains a pretty good one to remember. It's short for Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. In pancakes, you got to have them real thin. Not like those New York pancakes that are real big, thick with a lot of baking powder. It was no thin. I'm Mark Baratelli, and I live in Orlando, Florida. Manatees are sacred. Think of whatever god you worship or something you respect or a really good uh, butter biscuit. Clam chowder, no tomato. No, no tomato. Uh, the South. The South is not Florida. The South is the collection of states just just above Florida. Deep-fried cheese curds, you know what? I don't know how anybody can live an entire lifetime without having had deep-fried cheese curds. There's nothing more <laughs> frustrating for a Virginian than to have your home state confused for West Virginia. And it has nothing to do with anything specific. It's just, it's sort of a, a nuisance. It's annoying to have the two confused. The important thing is not to say, I'm happy to be here in Carolina or in the Carolinas. We're really not going to, we're, we're North Carolina, we are not South Carolina. We, we take it personally, we really, we prefer North Carolina. Um, I think you should drive fast on really icy roads here in New Hampshire, a lot of people do, because you there, thereby reduce the amount of time that you're in a dangerous situation. And avoid Massachusetts drivers, they're ridiculous. You know what that disgusting sound means? It's time for our Toilet of the Week. This is part of our ongoing quest to collect information on all the best public bathrooms across the country. Around the world. Wherever you are. If there's a toilet on the moon, I don't... There is. Maybe they just found a tree or something. There's a flagpole. Today's toilet comes from Charles Goman, who wrote us about the 21C Museum Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. So joining us now is the hotel's managing director, Craig Pichotti. Craig, tell us about your bathroom. You walk into the men's room and it, there's this uh, motion-activated waterfall that happens. And, uh, you know, men aren't always aware that, oh, my goodness, that's actually the urinal <laughs> that I'm about to use. So actually they kind of overcome that idea and realize, okay, that's where I'm headed. Um, they realize that they're facing um, this two-way mirror. And uh, on the public uh, corridor, you know, people are walking by, and then it becomes even a bit more interesting because uh, the guys are standing there like, oh my God, can they see me? Um, well, like, this is like an interrogation room glass, like you'd see <laughs> in Law and Order or something. You're right. I mean, look into the light, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's this two way effect. Everybody, at least what you think at that split second, they can see me. They're looking at me. Um, when in essence they can see shadow and silhouette, um, but it's really your your being the voyeur at that moment by being able to see them. Okay, but but they can see someone is peeing. They just don't know who is peeing. That's right. Okay, that's exactly right. That does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that Batman doesn't have nipples right there under his suit. I, I would have assumed that. Right? Yeah. Because if that suit can stop a bullet coming in, 
it, it could definitely stop a, a nipple coming out, you would think. It's cold in that bat cave. I feel like if we as a nation were allowed to vote on how Nevada were pronounced, yeah. it would become Nevada. Because does anyone outside of Nevada say Nevada? I wouldn't say that. That's not my go-to pronunciation. Yeah. But my default is probably Nevada. So if I was visiting Nevada uh-huh. and I got there by boat in my armada, could I stay at the Ramada? Are you staying at the one in Las Vegas? How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Leah Menzer. Good job, Leah. We want to thank Rob Wildebor and Drew Carey for coming up with a great musical from The Price is Right. Lyric by Mike Danforth. Thank you very much. Uh, special thanks also this week to Adam Yaffe, who helped us with some recording. Send us your bathroom suggestions. No matter where they are, send them to us via email at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.